0: Happy Monday, everyone, and welcome back to Keep NIT OD Podcast, a show where we talk about everything optometry. I took a break from recording episodes to work on some exciting new content for the show, but I'm very excited to be back with a new episode this week. But before we get into this week's episode, I want to remind everyone that the OET study schedule will finally be posted on Instagram this week. Um, It's going to go up on April 15th at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. So keep your eyes peeled for that. Also, I'm mailing out free Keep Knit OD stickers, yes, free stickers, to those who want them just as a thank you for supporting the show. So if you'd like one, feel free to DM me and I will mail them out later this week. And back to today's episode, I invited Dr. Ryan Court on the show to share with you his various involvements within the field and to also expose you to yet another mode of practice, which is sublease practices in the U.S. Without further ado, I'm gonna go ahead and introduce my guest for today's episode, Dr. Ryan Court.
1: Karen, thank you for having me. I, I appreciate the invite. This is honestly something, you know, you and I were chatting a little bit of pre-call, and this is an awesome thing you're doing for pre-op students and and for new grad optometrists and and optometry students. And I'm excited to be here and chat with you today.
0: Thank you so much. We're glad to have you on the show. Um, So you graduated optometry school not that long ago. um, And I wanted to ask you a question that I've been asking a lot of the optometrists currently. Were you exposed to the business side of things in optometry school since you graduated fairly recently?
1: Sure. Yeah. So just to give you a little bit of insight, I I went to Michigan State University for undergrad, graduated in, in 2008. Uh, the Ohio State University College of Optometry for Optometry School and graduated in 2012 and then did a residency at the Illinois College of Optometry and, and completed that in 2013. And so at the Ohio State University College of Optometry, they have a really good business practice management curriculum for, you know, private practice optometry. And I took a ton of notes during that. You know, they it was it was kind of sprinkled into our second, third and fourth year. And it was really insightful and gave me personally just ideas, a lot of insight on the way that an optometric practice runs, not only from a patient care perspective, but as a business. And so it was really, really beneficial for me.
0: Awesome. Um, so after that, did you always know that private practice what, is what you wanted to do? Um, and how did that come about? How did you come to that decision um, after the interview residency and four years of optometry school?
1: That's a great question. So during optometry school, I thought I was either going to open cold or buy into a private practice. I think that's probably the, 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 what the vast majority of optometry students and, and new graduate optometrists wanted to do. And that's kind of what's preached at the schools. And, and honestly, for me, I came out of residency, I split time at two very strong and, um, well, put together private practices in the Charlotte, North Carolina area. And I learned a lot from both of those experiences. And I ended up working at one of the offices more full time. And then I was actually approached by my business partner, Dr. Rachel Rubel, and her husband, Dr. Brad Rubel, to partner in a sublease practice. So I'm actually in a sublease practice next to a Lens Crafters. And we run it like a private practice without an optical. The, the main difference is, is that we just, um, outside of not having an optical, we don't have complete control of hours of operation that is dictated by our lease. But all of that came to fruition, and it was an opportunity that was presented in 2017, and then we had the opportunity to take up over our second practice location in 2019. So it was... An awesome experience and it continues to be an awesome one. And Even with that being said, I, I think it's something that pre-optometry students, optometry students, even new grads don't really understand to, uh, fully the benefits of being maybe in a corporate sublease and how it aligns and what are some of the similarities and differences versus private practice optometry or being employed by any different practice modality, private practice, sublease, or corporate employed.
0: Yeah, um, and it's good that you touched on that because that was I was going to ask you about that too, because when I um, first saw your, you know, LinkedIn profile, I thought you um, practiced in a private practice. So again, there are many ways you can practice optometry, uh, and you've worked in a variety of settings yourself. What makes your mode of practice, um, which is this sublease practice, different from a private practice? You said you base it, you know, you practice very similarly. Um, so what are the some of the similarities and some of the differences in your opinion?
1: Sure. So the biggest difference is that we do not control the sale of products in regards to glasses, sunglasses. Those are the main, that's, that's the, the main difference. And of course, I don't have the opportunity to own the space, like the actual physical building that I, that I lease. That is all uh, something that is controlled by my partner or you know, our corporate partner, which is Lens Crafters, And, and even that, they tend to be leasing those spaces from um, mostly in malls, but sometimes in strip malls. And so when it comes to the patient care aspect, though, and taking care of the patient and answering all of their questions, their concerns, and practicing full scope. So having the ability to, to address all of their eye health and visual issues, whether it's medical, uh, refractive, a combination of the both. And then actually doing some, some specialties like specialty contacts, myopia control, you know, and the list kind of goes on and on. We can do all that in a sublease space because we really are dialed into providing high quality services in the space that we lease next to lens crafters. The other thing is, is that the marketing that takes place when you have a corporate partner to drive patients to you is extremely robust, very strong and you know, In doing so, patients are driven a lot of times by, hey, they know the name of LensCrafters or maybe their insurances list our practice at, at the top of the list based off of our affiliation with LensCrafters. And then once that patient comes in, we build that relationship and we're able to keep them there based on our quality of care. And then of course, they're able to go next door to LensCrafters and purchase glasses.
0: Awesome. Um, it's good that you touched on the fact that even though you have that sublease place, you still have full control on how you um, want to, you know, interact with patients and the type of testing and patient care that you provide. Um, that's definitely very important. And I think a lot of people might hear the word, um sublease are affiliated with this um, corporation and they feel like, okay, my autonomy is thrown out the window, um, but that's obviously not the case. Um, so that's good to throw in there.
1: You know, it's, it's something that when you are sublisting space next to a corporate entity, it's good to, to really do some research and, and talk to other people that maybe have experience in, in doing so. There's a really strong group on Facebook called, uh, you know, corporate optometry. Uh, It's a, it's a Facebook group and you have the ability to kind of do some searching in there and see some of the, you know, the best corporations that you can partner with or read feedback from other people that are doing it. And then you can also just talk to your peers um, because there are a number of different corporations that you can partner with and sublease in Subway space in optometry.
0: That's awesome. Um, again, really good um, resource for optometry students, OD threes and fours, um, if they're, you know, looking into joining um, potential corporations um, in the coming months, that's a good resource to utilize. Um, quick question, so when you are, you know, in the job market, you're looking for a job, how do you go about marketing yourself? Because I've talked to a couple of current optometry students, and I think the biggest thing other than, you know, not being exposed to the business side of things is not knowing how to negotiate an offer and how to market your, you know, skills, or if you've done a residency, your experience, and how do you basically sell yourself to an employer?
1: Yeah. So. I actually had the benefit of being a recruiter before optometry school. So I had the ability to to go ahead and go through the whole hiring and onboarding process for large corporations in Metro Detroit. And so I kind of had a good understanding of how to create a resume and how to put yourself out there. And I think that's something that optometry students and new graduate optometrists are continuing to learn as they as they approach that time period where they're starting to look for a job. A couple of quick and simple tips. Of course, make sure you you have a presence online professionally. So on LinkedIn, but you could also have a professional presence on various social media websites, like Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, you know, et cetera, et cetera. That may not be like all of your personal content, but more you know, optometry related or clinical cases or clinical pearls or what you're doing to help promote the profession, et cetera, et cetera. You have a lot of different, ways that you can have a very professional-facing presence. With that being said, make sure you have somebody look at your resume, highlight all of your experiences during your externships, and if you did a residency, highlight that experience, make sure that you outline some of your career goals. That really helps, and in my opinion, anytime we interview somebody to come into our practice, I want to know what they want to do year one, but also year five, ten. I mean, where where are they looking, you know, often in the future, and how can we help support them? Because in my, If you have somebody come into your practice and they want to go ahead and, and work for you for a long time, they'll let you know that. They want to look in at maybe starting cold or buying into a, an office and that opportunity isn't pre- present in your office, you should support them in doing so because they're going to do it anyways and it's really important to make sure that you're elevating the level of care in our profession. But putting yourself out there, making sure you have a good professional presence and then going to meetings, going to, you know, last year was obviously... Uh, you know, a unique year, but prior to that, you know, a lot of optometry students had the opportunity to go to optometries meeting, Vision Expo, Academy, CECO, all these great meetings where they can meet other optometrists, other optometry students and, and network. And, and networking is an outstanding way to look for opportunities, not to mention, just if you know particular states that you wanna get involved in, you can go ahead and talk to the state society. There's a lot of awesome job boards through like Covalet Careers, the AOA local eyesight you can even post your, your resume on indeed and specify where you want to practice you will get phone calls you will get phone calls from recruiters and doctors and practice owners so those are just some simple ways to really get your name out there
0: that's awesome so as a former recruiter and an optometrist you have talked about obviously some of the great things that you could do to kind of help boost your resume and help you get a great job What are some things that may be, you know, question marks or, you know, red flags for an applicant that, you know, you may not even consider calling in for an interview so that, you know, listeners could avoid um, falling into that?
1: Yeah, I mean, the really simple ones are maybe not having um, just a general understanding of what what you want and articulating your experiences on paper well. And I personally think that making sure that you highlight your experiences, even if it's limited and making sure that everything is spelled correctly and formatted correctly, those are really important. And even like, for example, on LinkedIn, LinkedIn gives you simple tips, like make sure you have a profile picture, make sure you complete you know, your prior experiences and some of your volunteers and, and where you've practiced. In my opinion, involvements and having the opportunity to highlight what you did outside of just going to school and going through the motions of class and also clinic and things like that, but also some of the ancillary things that you were involved in really is helpful because that shows the practice owner, hey, how are you going to get involved outside of the practice, outside of just seeing patients? You know, what are some things that you can do to help build the practice? You know, even if it's a corporate employee employee position, they love to see people that are getting involved and helping elevate the level of care and also helping bring in more like-minded doctors to the practice so those are some things that are really important i can also tell you though i've had phone calls with doctors just pre-screening phone call interviews where the candidates weren't prepared whatsoever they didn't know about the practice they didn't know about maybe the market they were coming into they asked questions right off the bat like how much how much am i going to make um Probably the best question to ask a you know during a job interview right off the bat, you should take some time to get to know the person that's interviewing you about the opportunity, and of course, you'll be presented with an offer, and that's when you can have a discussion on negotiation. But that's not really the thing you want to discuss right off the bat. And so, learning from those experiences, maybe even doing some mock interviews with faculty or friends or you know, any family that has the ability to hire and. Um, bring on people to a small business is, is definitely beneficial.
0: Awesome. These are definitely really great tips. So along with being a former recruiter, you also are currently um, um, consulting for different companies. So how did you get into that?
1: It was one of those things that consulting and optometry is, you know, over time you kind of build up a professional brand reputation and, um, People get to know you because you're involved, or maybe you start volunteering for certain opportunities, or you write for certain publications, you put out certain types of content. And for me, actually, uh, the main company that I, I consult for is Bosch and Lom. I do some consulting for Luxatica as well, um, with Lens Crafters, but mostly Bosch and Lom in the eye care space. And my rep noticed that I had been fitting and prescribing a decent amount of the, the Bosch and Lom products, and I was having a lot of success. and she said, hey, have you ever considered being a speaker for our company? I said, yeah, I, you know, I personally really enjoy public speaking, and I'd like to explore that opportunity further. And she connected me with who was in charge of kind of the next person in line to discuss the opportunity with, who connected me with the next person in line. And before you know it, um, I'm talking to Adam, Adam Gundakar and Jill Sexton, who lead the professional relations team at Boston Lawmen. And they kind of gave me an opportunity to come in and 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 join the Speaker Bureau. So it's one of those things that I was fortunate enough to be asked by my local rep and, and it kind of went away, from, went, went from there. But I will tell you that being involved as a student in optometry school, even pre-optometry, like for you, Karen, this is something where people can look back at what you're doing and be excited about it. See that you're entrepreneurial, you're forward thinking, you're helping elevate the level of care in optometry by bringing candidates to the forefront and giving them information about optometry school these are the kind of things that companies look for. They look for people that are outside the box and are innovative and can discuss their products and be experts about it. And so that's how I personally got involved. But as a student, I was president of, of the American Optometric Student Association, which is you know at every school and college of optometry across the country. So I had the opportunity to meet a lot of people in industry that way as well. And I, I just think the more involved you get, the better your opportunities will be if you want to get into the consulting realm of the profession.
0: Yeah, and I think that also speaks very highly of the optometric field as a whole, because there's a lot more that goes on outside of the exam rooms. You can be involved with contact lens brands. You can have, you know, a YouTube platform that like you do, a podcast. You can do so much more um, to bring awareness to, you know, the field and eye care and eye health um, outside of the exam room and even outside of your practice um, and I think that's really beautiful to share with everyone who might be looking into pursuing a career in the field of optometry for sure
1: it's a very unique profession you know you, you have many different pathways you can take and I like to tell anybody who's in you know pre-health right so if somebody's pre-med you know that they have the opportunity to go a number of different pathways in the human body and so they they really have a lot of opportunities at the But optometry You know, you think to yourself, when you're going as a pre-optometry student, you're like, well, there can't be that many possible different ways that you can have a career as an optometrist. The fact of the matter is there is a ton of different ways. You can work in a number of different practice modalities. You can do research. You can work in academia. You can work in industry. I mean, there is so many different things you can do as an optometrist. And so you're right. It's truly a unique profession.
0: Yep, absolutely. And with that all being said, how do you find the balance um, doing all that while also working full time in an office, managing, you know, a YouTube channel, speaking and, you know, re- sub- recording this podcast on a Monday afternoon. How do you find the balance? And I think this also could, um, you could talk about how you manage your time in optometry school because you were also very involved during that time. Um, I think most people do struggle with time management i know i do and a lot of people have reached out with similar concerns um how do you find time to do you know work and fun things that you know also still around optometry while also still maintaining like a semi-decent work-life balance
1: very good question my wife uh will sometimes look at me and be like just like today is a perfect example i would been on conference calls and you know meetings and and I try to structure my day as concisely as I possibly can without disconnecting from my family and also patient care. So to be fully transparent with you, I don't see patients every single day. We have a number of fantastic doctors at our practice that are part of our team. And one of the things is, is that being a subleasing doctor next to a lens crafters, your practice is open seven days a week. So nobody's working seven days a week because that just isn't feasible. You will burn out. So we kind of divvy up the workload and and with that being said, I do my absolute best to try to use a calendar and schedule things out. And I do, I did learn over time that saying yes to everything, I, I know I, I did say on this, this call here, hey, be as involved as you possibly can be, but you also have to learn to say no when you realize that you're putting too much on your plate. And maybe it's not, the certain things you're gonna say no to are gonna be things that are outside of your goals, your values, your core mission. And me personally, you know, I, I have kind of some things that, I keep close to my heart of what I like to do. And, and that is helping people on their optometric career, or even just their, their professional career and helping them develop personal professional skills so that they can be successful in their life's journey. And also being the best possible husband and father to my two kiddos that I can be. And of course, providing great patient care to the, to the people in our community and elevating our profession to the best of my ability. And so if things come in and inquiries come in that don't with those, align with those core goals and values of mine, then I, I think long and hard about it. And I've learned that you have to learn to say no and you have to learn, look at some tasks on your to-do list and just say, this is never going to get done and maybe it isn't even important enough to even be on my list anymore. So learning that, and it takes time, Karen, honestly, it takes time to figure out what is and isn't important for you and what you need to get done but that's how I do it. I use a lot of different software and tools to try to track things like Notion is a a workspace that I use and I track a lot of my to-do lists. And you know, I, I definitely check my email throughout the day, probably a little more than I should, but I try to keep it the inbox relatively up to up to date and um, utilizing calendars and, and all those things just keep me organized. And I think as a pre as an optometry student, you definitely want to make sure that you are utilizing calendars that you are are finding support groups in your optometry um, class and also in the school to help keep you aligned and keep you focused and and hold you accountable so that, you know, once you start getting these study calendars going like, okay, you know, I I need to get some of these tasks done then. And I need to, you know, do this down the road. Maybe it's something like a, a practical or something that's, you know, clinically related. And then you also need to make sure that you think, hey, like I need free time. I need to decompress. I need to get some, you know, a workout in, or I need to do some meditation or get some extra rest tonight. So you really have to, you'll get your own groove in optometry school. And you do that as well once you get out into your professional career. Life just gets a little bit busier um, as things get going. So embrace this time before optometry school. I know you're like, hey, it's been a crazy day, but embrace it because life does get very busy.
0: Yep. And I think every season in life also you're gonna, you know, have different responsibilities that you know you have to work, you know, nine to five couple of days a week but the day doesn't end at five. You, do, you have to come home to your family or you know you have to speak at a conference. Things just don't end at five and I think it's good to you know, like you said, make sure that it's worthwhile. It's gonna you know you're gonna get something out of it or you can help someone doing so. Um, and I think those are great things to just ask yourself before you just say yes to everything and just spread yourself way too thin. And so we're going to ask you a couple of questions about what a typical day in the office looks like. So I know you said you don't go into the office every day. So when you do go into the office, um, do you just do eye exams? Do you get to do um, office visits, medical exams? What does a typical day in the office look like?
1: So yeah, I see patients from uh, about ten to six ish, and we take an hour lunch break. So a lot of primary care, but also a ton of medical sprinkled in. We, we, we take same day red eyes all the time. We do a ton of anterior SAG and ocular surface disease management from punctal plugs and therapeutics and amniotic membranes and scleral contact lenses that are, you know, hard contact lenses for, that you can fit for any kind of, you know, corneal disease like keratoconus, but also you can utilize to, for dryness. Um, we do all sorts of stuff like that and, I would say that our schedule, you know, we see patients of all ages and it remains relatively busy. Oh, very busy, honestly. Um, and so also when I go into the office though, just something to keep in mind, if you ever are looking into be a uh, you know, practice owner, you know, I'm answering questions from staff, even on all the time when, you know, when I'm not at the practice, we utilize a a, a tool called Slack and it's essentially a way to effectively communicate at the office, but organize our conversations based off of specific topics. So there's a different channels on there and you can have channels for just the doctors to communicate or channels for the whole team to talk about what the schedule looks like or what insurance questions we may have. And so we're always consistently addressing those things. But when I'm physically in the office, because we have two locations, depending where I'm at, I'm working with the team on anything that they need troubleshoot, uh, troubleshoot it as well as, you know, trying to make sure that we're all aligned in, in as a team and we do have meetings you know we probably could have meetings a little bit more but we have meetings you know probably about every other month in person COVID obviously dampened that so we do we do bring in some 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 you know video chats and things like that but the schedule's busy and it's not always just patient care we do a lot of practice uh you know discussions and and operational stuff when we're in the practice
0: awesome and you just um you know jumped into my next question here so how did COVID affect your practice so obviously every working American was affected by COVID in one way or another so were you affected differently from let's say corporate or hospital um, optometrists or in what ways were you pra- uh, affected you and your practice Sorry.
1: yeah so we shut down on March 19th of 2020 and we're like oh yeah we'll close the office for a couple of weeks you know, nobody really knew the gravity of the situation. And so it was challenging. I, we ended up being closed for a little over two months and we furloughed our staff and more so to allow them to uh, collect unemployment. And we paid our, you know, our team doctors uh, as long as we could. And then, you know, by the time we came back to bringing the team back and trying to put protocols in place, uh, it was Right around mid-May or so. And it was, you know, challenging to really just sit there and think outside the box. And that's actually where my YouTube channel, Ryan Reflex, came about. During that time, I started thinking about, you know, how can I go ahead and, and express myself professionally and help others reach their career goals and aspirations. And, you know, I started posting even some some optometry content on there. And that's actually where my focus has been as of recently because I've gotten a lot of engagement from pre-optometry and optometry students and even practicing optometrists. But um, it was very, very Challenging for everybody in the profession, and once we hit the ground running, we we opened up at about fifty percent capacity, and we had systems in place like online digital intake forms, and you know social distancing, mask wearing, sanitizing, um, you know all the cleaning protocols, and we were able to get back to about seventy five percent of the schedule in June, and actually almost a full schedule in July, which was very very. Impactful, and um, we sent out a ton of email communications to people to keep them up to speed of what's going on, and we let them know what, of all the different policies we had in place. And we've been fortunate, you know, we're in the southeastern part of the United States, where I would say we've had less restrictions in regards to having our practice open than other areas of the country. So it what, but it was a very challenging time.
0: Absolutely. So we're going to, you know, leave COVID in 2020, not quite, but we're gonna <laughs> ask, you know, more on happier notes questions. Um, so obviously you're an innovative optometrist as per your LinkedIn title said. So in being a sublease optometrist obviously isn't for everybody. What are some qualities successful entrepreneurs possess or some um, things to implement in your life to you know become a you know entrepreneurial like to have an entrepreneurial mindset if that makes sense
1: yeah it's, you know to be completely honest with you it's it's one of those things that you kind of land into so it's in your personality it's in your blood it's in your DNA and I think that anybody who goes outside of the norm you know, meaning like the typical career path and they start thinking differently about problems and ways that you can go ahead and provide solutions to those problems, to a particular niche or to a typical, you know, even like you did with keeping it OD, right? You, you said, Hey, I, I didn't have a lot of content that I felt like related to where I'm at in my life. And I know that there are others out there. And this podcast is providing a lot of valuable content to pre-optometry and optometry students that I commend you on, right? And so you identified something and you took a risk and you went ahead and, and you started creating podcasts. And what you've learned is you took a calculated risk. You said there wasn't a lot of other shows on this and I'm gonna go ahead and, and do this and stay committed. And I'm gonna continue to do it in optometry school. And that's that's what I feel like people that are innovative but also entrepreneurial do. They think outside the box, they take calculated risks, they do a little bit of soul searching and they create a you know rough business plan and and they start to test things out. And as they test things out, they learn what works and what doesn't, and they pivot accordingly. And so you have to be somebody who is willing to take risks. Calculated risks are, are in my opinion, much better than not calculated.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. And um, hedge your bets and do it. And we all learn from successes that we have, but also we really truly learn from failing. And what do we learn? Well, we go ahead and, and we realize Hey, you know, I could have done this differently or I could have done that differently. And that's that's one of the things that I feel like I do talk about on my YouTube channel, Ryan Reflex, is I look back and I try to provide insight to people that are on their optometric journey or just in general, their professional journey of ways that they can evaluate every step in the process, how to go about it, how to learn from your mistakes and how to move forward with confidence and grow professionally, and really embrace and enjoy the journey, because like we had just mentioned on this call, every step of the journey is different and unique, and you have to embrace every moment.
0: Yeah, it definitely takes a stronger mindset to accept failure, and I know it definitely, you know, takes a long time to get there, Uh, but that's, you know, a, a good strategy to have that, you know, this could be a learning experience. I could look at what I did and what didn't work, and how can I change that and maybe explore an option that will work. So we're um, approaching our last question here. This has been such uh, an awesome episode, very informative. Um, Would you ever, ever advise someone to maybe not go into a sublease practice or not go into optometry or what you do personally and why?
1: Yeah, I, th- I think you have to know what you're getting into. And actually, to, to let you know as well, Karen, we're coming out with my business partner and her husband, Dr. Rachel Rubel, Dr. Brad Rubel, myself, are launching a YouTube channel called Aspheric Advice. And we're once people know they want to go into optometry, we're trying to provide them with useful, insightful content on different pathways they can take in the profession, whether it's being an employee, working in a sublease space, in a private practice, um, and all the different other pathways you can take. And so I, I, look at, I look at what you said there, and I think about it on a case by case basis. I would advise a lot of people not to go into a sublease, just like I would advise a lot of people not to go into private practice or to be an employee for somebody else. It truly depends circumstantially on who they are, what their core goals and values are, and what do they want to achieve. You can be successful in optometry in a number of different practice modalities and a number of different positions. And so it depends on the person and what they want to do with their career. For me, though, let's just say, or for anybody who, like you said, advise them not to go into a sublease. Well, they have to know who they're partnering with, right? And they have to look at the opportunity and make sure it's an opportunity that makes sense for them. And they have to feel comfortable with the fact that they may have to have some evening hours or weekend hours, but they also be comfortable with the fact that they may be bringing on other doctors to help cover some of the days if they don't want to work six, seven days a week. On the on the flip side, if you're going and you're you know trying to open up a practice cold or buy into a practice, opening up a practice cold is probably one of the most challenging things you can do in our profession. So you have to be, you know, you have to be resilient, you have to be persistent, you have to be hardworking, dedicated, motivated, and you need a support system because there will be ups and downs and, and challenging times. But the benefit and reward is definitely there. Buying into a practice, again, you know, you have to have a, the practice appraised and buying out somebody. You want to make sure that you, what you're getting is is truly a good value for both parties, right? So that's why we we're creating that YouTube channel because we're trying to help people make the best possible decisions they can for their career path. And everybody's career path is going to be different. So it all aligns with their goals and their core values.
0: That's awesome. And whenever you guys launch it, um, we will go ahead and put it in the episode description along with your YouTube channel in any relevant links for the listeners to have easy easy access to um, and explore. Again, Dr. Court, thank you so much for your time. This has been a blast.
1: Awesome, Karen. Thanks for having me and have a great rest of your week.
0: So that is all for this week's episode. I hope you enjoyed listening and found it helpful. Don't forget to find Dr. Court on YouTube at Ryan Reflex and follow the podcast Instagram at keepin.it.od to stay up to date with the podcast and when episodes and polls go live. See y'all next time. And as always, we'll be keeping it OD. Thank you guys.